fans. My name's Eric Morrow, Seattle Mariners baseball, everybody. Let's get started. That smile is back on Junior's face. Line drive, base hit to win it. Welcome to Casuals Corner. My name is Eric Morrow. We're talking Mariners baseball. We're going to talk a little football at the end. It's that time of year. I've got my co-host here, Tyler Matsumoto. How you doing, Tyler? Oh, I'm doing great, my friend. Just uh, another gloomy week in the Northwest, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, it it doesn't matter what you think about the weather. It just does what it does, doesn't it? And uh I tell you, you know, being down here in the Phoenix area, I even crappy weather I miss sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so, um, but uh, good to talk to you. Not much going on in the baseball front. We all know this, folks. Um, you know, just a bunch of posturing, just a bunch of speculation. Uh, you could speculate to your heart's content. Uh, I am kind of happy to hear some stories that, uh, you know, I was bringing to folks on BR a year and a half ago, and a year to two years ago, and uh, took some lumps for it too, but you're starting to see um, articles about Soto to Seattle, which is uh, somebody who I really pushed for, and then of course it seems like we're still in on the Otani talks. Um, so those were the two players I'd really like to see uh, added to the team. But you say, oh, it's only one year, you know, Soto's going to walk. And, well, Tio walked too. So, you know, I don't hear anybody just absolutely on the ground crying about it. Um, you know, bring in these star uh, players, uh, it's going to cost you. But, you know, you could take a chance once in a while. What do you, what do you get to say about it, Tyler? I think this is the time to start taking those chances. We've gone over this before. We have a great young core who almost all of them are on very cheap to league minimum contracts. These guys will get more expensive as we go. And then having the financial flexibility to go out and try to acquire an Otani, a Soto, whatever big name bat you want to bring in here, that won't be an option in a few years. And we'll have to rely on the players that have come up through the system. And there's two ways to look at Juan Soto to me, Eric. And I'm going to look at it on the optimistic front and that when you're trading for a known rental and who's to say we don't have a fantastic season, he hits free agency and maybe we bring him back. But when you go to acquire a rental type of player, they always cost you less on in terms of the prospects or the young major leaguers. So I actually do like that because you wouldn't want to trade maybe a Kirby for Soto, but what if we could package a Miller and a Kellenic? or some sort of trade of that nature makes it a lot more palatable. And I can at least speak for myself, diehard Mariners fan my entire life, that I would easily trade a couple young dudes to make or win a World Series and say thank you as they leave next offseason. How about you, buddy? Yeah, yeah, that's... 
So, you know, and you, once you've got a guy on your team and number one, he's going to be playing good, right? Because his next contract depends on it. Um, so he's totally, so he's totally, so he's totally invested in having a great year uh, financially, uh, which can be very persuading uh, to one's uh, abilities. So you've got him for that year. Maybe he'll sign again. I don't know. I think that's the kind of team it's going to take to uh, to really compete. You know, yeah, it's dandy to have a team that's uh, that's pretty good and all homegrown and stuff. But you start looking at the Dodgers and you start looking at some of the big boys, the the Phillies, and you know. You start looking at Texas, and they've spent some money, too. So uh, I hope to see that kind of ad. Um, what do you think about, and I know I'll catch hell for this, but uh, I believe Gilbert's probably got another three years, and those would all be arbitration years, I would believe. One of these days, we'll do a little bit of homework around here. But um, would you trade Gilbert for Soto? You know, I my, my point is, Tyler. Yeah, go ahead. My point is, and, and forgive me, uh, my point is, is do you believe in Wu? Do you believe in Miller? Because pretty soon Gilbert's going to be 5 to $7 million, and then $12 million, and then $16 million in the next few years. Do you believe in these young guys that they can come up and be earning their 760000 for the next two years, and you've got two of them? Do you believe in them enough to do that? Tyler. I'd be willing to take the calculated gamble because a lot of fans are going to say that's a huge gamble, but it's really not because it's so much more of a known commodity. Juan Soto is only 25 years old. He's proven to be one of the best hitters in all the baseball for through five or six years. And he is also a very good hitter when it comes to controlling the strike zone, which is an obvious mantra of the Mariners organization, yet they seem to sign all these strikeout kings. So something's getting lost in translation there somehow. Now, there are major reports right now, Eric, and I was a little befuddled at first, but reports are that the Mariners are actually going a really hard after Japanese ace Yamamoto, who's coveted across baseball, is listed as the second or third best free agent by any publication. And the reasoning is kind of going to what you were talking about, which really pumps me up, is that say we bring in Yamamoto, now we have major flexibility to move a Gilbert or move, move a Wu or Miller. And then when it comes to Gilbert, Time flies, my friend. He is already coming into arbitration one as he's completed three big league seasons already. I It just shocks me, but that, that's how time goes in this world. But the obvious situation is, is if we bring in someone at the top of the rotation, now we really have the flexibility to feel more comfortable about moving a Gilbert. Because as we talk about a lot, Eric, progression in baseball and basically anything in life for that matter is not linear. Who knows if Wu and Miller would take giant steps 
from year one to year two. It doesn't always happen that way. Lots of times you might take three steps forward, two steps back, and then kind of settle into a quality big league career. If we had Yamamoto, I would be all over the Gilbert train. And part of the reason is I think you would agree with me and anyone with half a brain that likes the Mariners would Gilbert's trade value is vastly higher than Wu or Miller. What do you think on all this? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Gilbert's value is probably uh, at its highest right now. Um, you know, I, 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 I seen Shannon Dreher had an article that's, that's probably 10 days old or so that said, you know, that the Mariners' best route maybe to go after pitching. It doesn't make sense to me um, as much as I'd love to have Yamamoto. Um, I guess you'd try on a, a – this is the problem. If you're trying for Otani, do you wait to do anything until he's signed? And have you lost out on a lot of guys in that process? Uh, Yamamoto, that would be awesome. And I guess that's a roundabout way of getting – getting maybe the bats you need, like you say, Tyler, because that really opens up trade capital. Of course, if you signed Otani and can get through next year with the assumption that he's going to be able to pitch again, um, you've got a pitcher right there, too. So, um, love to see it. And then you really got to trade for something dandy, though, and whether that be two really good hitters who can play in the field or a Juan Soto type of player, uh, depending on what it would take to get him. You know, knowing that you only have a year, you only have you only have to outbid the other best team. So um, that's what I got to say about that. Anything you wanted to add to that, Tyler? Yeah, maybe a just a little bit, and that there's also rumors that the Mariners are very aggressive behind the scenes going for Otani, Soto, and Yamamoto. The problem is, is being aggressive doesn't always mean you get the fish in the net into the boat. Sometimes that thing slips off the hook, which maybe could happen. You know how much I want Otani. The Mariners do need to try to gauge what his true interest is. And then if they don't think there's any possibility, maybe they should move on quicker rather than slower. But, you know, when it comes down to it, there's no reason that I, I, I really think the Mariners are in the top three for the Otani contention. Dodgers are easily first then the Mariners and maybe the Giants. And I, I would say Seattle's probably second in that running. It's just how far ahead of the pack are the Dodgers in the race to get this wonderful unicorn of a baseball player. But I'm just going to go a little bit sideways here, Eric, because I just want some of our fans and listeners to realize how much we need to improve at the plate right now because not only did the Texas Rangers win the World Series, they're most likely going to bring a majority of that team back. They're already in our own division. But when it comes to major league rankings here, batting average, on base, OPS, runs, hits, home runs, total bases, 
So basically all of the most important hitting categories, the Rangers are second or third and basically every important hitting category in major league baseball. While the Mariners are either in the top half to the bottom third in every important category. So we have a lot to make up on them. And I just want to, I found this really interesting too, Eric, because they're such a good hitting team. Texas is, and we got to, close the gap obviously but you talk so much about how we forget about defense how saving is run a run is as good as a run well check this out the texas rangers had the fewest errors per game in the major leagues and they had the tied for second on the best fielding percentage in baseball. So even though their pitching is kind of middle to top third, when you combine that top level hitting and that top level fielding, that's an awesome combination. And I guess that's a really long way of pointing my evidence to the Mariners have to improve this off season. Yep. They've got to improve that. Uh, that's for sure. They're going to be having to deal with the Rangers and the Astros now. And that's, that's why it's really going to take uh, stepping forward to even compete, uh, perhaps. You know, if, if good luck and good health uh, stay with the Rangers, they could be just as, as bad as the Astros have been for the last five, seven years. And when you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, they've really taken the place that we were in line for and uh, we deserved. Um, you know, they just kind of jumped right over us. And here they are in, in the World Series and have won the World Series. Uh, do keep in mind that no team has repeated World Series back-to-back -back since the Yankees, maybe in 99 or 01 or 03, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it is pretty competitive when you think of it that way. We'll see what happens. What more do you know? Do you know anything about some of these you you were saying you've been hearing things about these players that uh, were were after any more to add on that well i kind of want to go a different route here eric and i'm going to call this mariners economics and it's kind of an overview over the last decade or so and it honestly made me more frustrated with ownership and jerry than before and to me, it lets the fans know where I think we should be spending compared to where we are. So as of right now, the Mariners have a few players that are going to have good pay raises and arbitration, such as your favorite player, Ty France, and way more importantly, Logan Gilbert. Now, maybe we could just let Ty go, and if we have plans to deal with it, I wouldn't be opposed but check this out. As of right now, no arbitration deals have been made, for, obviously, with the Mariners. We stand at $106 million payroll right now. In the 23 season, the one that we just finished, that finished at $134 million, which placed the Mariners at 18th in Major League Baseball. Now, Eric, when it comes to peer dollars and cents, the Mariners had a higher payroll in the years from 2014 through 2019 compared to where we stand right now on November 12th, I believe it is. And so go back to 2018, 
was the highest payroll the team had ever had at $161.8 million. Now, of, you would think at first I was thinking, oh, well, we should have darn near $60 million if we wanted to go up to our highest spending year ever. But wait, there's this funny thing called inflation. When you do the math on about 4.4% or so each year, if you average it out since 2018, the inflation on $162 million turns into $198 million in the year 2024. So that's basically $92 million from where we're at right now to the true dollar amount if we wanted to get up to the top spending the team's ever had. And that spending only put us at between 10th and 12th in that, what, five or six year span. Now, I understand where Mr. Stanton might be coming from here. We did not make the playoffs in any of those seasons. Although, I know one of them, we got eliminated on the last day of the season. And a couple others, we were close. But these are just a bunch of economic numbers that are telling me, especially when the Mariners had the best profit margin in baseball last year, I don't see any reason why it would have gone down too much with how they were at the gates this season. There's no reason why the spending shouldn't go up a ton. I hope Mr. Stanton is a man of his word and the spending is about to come. But when I'm always defending ownership, they're actually sneakily throwing one over my eyes, and there's no reason there isn't money to go get Otani plus some guys. Though That's my two cents on the Mariners' economics lately. Yeah, we went through a rebuild, and we were promised, and we all agreed, for whatever that's worth. We were promised and we were all agreed that uh, that we'd save some money now to spend later. Was pretty much how that is. Uh, we're not going to spend as much now because we're going to need some to compete once this this core is uh, matured. The core's matured, ladies and gentlemen. Twenty twenty four, you would consider the core to be mature, matured. Um, it's time to spend now. <clears throat> I said all last season they were saving to assign players for this season uh, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes we don't know what conversations have been made um, but it's certainly good news to hear that uh, we're, we're after uh, players on the market um, and uh, we it's time to really add some talent because our old buddies that we love so much that are growing up around us there's not enough of them superstars. Not everybody has to be a superstar, but you need more than one. And you need about three or four bats that are feared universally across baseball. We don't have that right now. One, maybe two. Uh, and we'll see how JP does again next year and see if that's something we can count on every year or uh, not. You know, there's no protection for Julio. Uh, he's getting the worst pitches. Is J.K. going to come around and play like the player he should be by now? This is what you're dealing with when you're talking about prospects. You just don't know. And while prospects are important, they are not the end-all, be-all, because these guys come up, they're prospects, they take two or three years to mature. 
some of them, many of them, and uh, they don't play their best baseball when they're doing that. So there you are, folks. Let's hope they add something. Like you said, Tyler, we were kind of promised that they would, uh, and a lot of us have done a lot of protecting of that. So the proof's in the pudding here coming up pretty soon, folks. Uh, by spring training next year, we should know if this team's serious about bringing Seattle a world championship or not. Uh, the fan base is rabid. They're ready. They want it. Uh, let's make it happen, uh, Seattle Mariners. So anything else you want to talk about today on the Mariners, Tyler? Um, not really a whole ton recently because, man, the stove is not even on right now when it comes to the, quote, hot stove league. I guess that's kind of par for the course the last few years. It seems like the biggest fish don't sign till much later. And maybe part of that is, you know, with nobody signed to arbitration deals yet, maybe it's harder for teams to calculate giant contracts into their budget but i think the mariners should be really aggressive right now because if the rest of the baseball teams are kind of slow playing free agency the last several years well when everyone's zigging that's when you should be zagging and i hope we are being aggressive behind closed doors and i guess i honestly don't necessarily care a ton which big fish it is but we're sick and tired of the AJ Pollocks and the Adam Frazier's that are supposed to save the team in the off season. We need true difference makers. And I think the fans deserve it. And even more so the players in the clubhouse deserve the extra boost, the extra protection in the lineup. Like you pointed out, these guys have worked their butts off. There has been a great success rate in terms of younger players for the most, not even for the most part. There's probably only a third of top prospects ever live up to their expectations. And most of ours had, that's kind of why I'm on the train of maybe trading Kellenic before he has no trade value left because so many young players have succeeded. Just the basic math of the situation tells us that a couple are not going to. So let's go Mariners. Let's go front office. Let's go Mr. Stanton. Put out a ball club that we're all going to come out and cheer for. Eric, could you imagine the excitement if we actually made a World Series? Yeah, it'd be pretty crazy. It'd be much different than Arizona down here, which is very ho-hum about anything uh, sports-related. Um, it would be crazy up there. We've we seen it in just the one playoff game. So, um, yeah, and these these prospects, you know, it's kind of like nudging a chick out of a nest. Uh, some of the chicks get out early and they fly, and others just don't. And pretty soon the parents just saying, you got to get out. Uh, I would imagine J.K. has one more option year left where he can safely be sent down to the minors. He, he really has one year left that he either makes it on the team, which he's certainly motivated to do, uh, or I would assume he becomes a free agent next year or something like that. 
uh, or he stays with the team, whatever. That That's slicing the pretty thin there. So these guys have been around, and we all say, well, it's going to take time, it's going to take time, but there does come a point where we say, you know, we need some results here. Let's hope for that JK next year and uh, some of our other struggling prospects, whoever those guys might be. Um, do we want to... So there you are, ladies and gentlemen. Just not a whole lot to talk about. it. It's Seattle Mariners baseball, but it's everybody's rest and relaxation time, uh, particularly the industry's rest and relaxation time. They work every day of the week uh, for six and a half, seven, really nine months a year. Uh, probably more like ten and a half um, if you're a coach or something like that uh, it's it's the off time we I don't think it's unusual not to hear a lot before the winter meetings and I think those will be taking place in about uh, three weeks so um, things should start heating up from there and definitely we may get some some signings before then uh, so we'll, we'll just have to see what happens uh, go Mariners Welcome to Navigating the Numbers. I'm your host, Camden, and together we're diving into the wonderful world of baseball analytics. Join us as we decode the numbers that define the game, hitting, pitching, fielding, and beyond. It's the language of baseball, and I'm here to help you decode it. Whether you're a seasoned fan or new to the sport, get ready for a journey through the stats and saber metrics that add depth to America's pastime. This is Navigating the Numbers on the Casuals Corner Podcast. Let's dive in together. Today, we'll be talking about hitting. We'll cover the basics, talk about their issues, and learn a few stats that bridge the gap. Everyone should already know batting average and on-base percentage. One measures how often a player gets a hit, and the other measures how often a player gets on base. These are great examples of stats not painting the full picture. What we care about is the ability to score runs. Batting average and on-base percentage give the same value, 1 or 0, to every outcome, even though they all have a vastly different impact on the amount of runs a team will score. For example, a home run is about 3.5 times as valuable as a single or a walk. A stat that does differentiate between outcomes is WOBA, or weighted on-base average. An average hitter usually has a WOBA around 320, 400 and above is excellent, below 300 is poor. Um. I guess the question I have is, how is WOBA calculated? So they they have a formula to see how how often a single produces a run, how often a double produces a run, how often a triple produces a run, and so on. So the run production based on each outcome, single, double, triple, home run, walk, is assigned a value, and then WOBA crunches those numbers together. And it gives a better idea than batting average, which gives everything a value of one, whether it's a single or a home run, it counts as one. And and I guess I'm playing a devil's advocate for lazy fans like me. Um, if I look at that Woba number, I'm going to have a good idea what the, how that player's performing on the offensive side of the ball, correct? Yeah, you'll you'll get a good idea of how how well they produce runs. For we use the JP and Julio example. Um, JP was right there at the same level as Julio. A lot of that can be attributed to other stats, like the uh, uh, JP's walk rate was around fifteen percent. Julio's was at six. JP's K rate was at like nineteen percent. Julio was up in the mid to high twenties. 
And so each one of those outcomes produces a different level of run. So we can see use it, WOBA kind of just combines all those statistics to give a really good view of how how many runs a player contributes to the team. So we can we know that JP this 2023 was really an effective hitter for the first time in his career. And <clears throat> what this WOBA tells us is even though he's a very different type of hitter than Julio, he was just as valuable to the team uh, or or was slightly more valuable to the team. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, which I, I think had a sophomore slump, just just percentage points lower than him. Um, and I don't know, geez, it would love to have like Colton Wong's number. You know, that was probably 220 or something like that, huh? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that one was incredibly low. Okay. Okay. Um, I like it. I like it. You know, for a lazy guy like me, I might just kind of forget about some of these other ones above now and just just look at the WOBA. Well, you can't forget about the other ones. I mean, WOBA is super helpful uh, in measuring run production, but, but you got to you got to look at the other ones, too, because you might have a bunch of Julios on the team with the, you know, 359 better than average WOBA. But if they're st all striking out 200 times a year, you're not going to score any runs. Right. Well, I you use the other stats to determine how WOBA got constructed, I would think. Um, as we watch the team every day, you know, I might be lazy on some of these numbers, but I, I let my eyes or at least my ears listen to what's happening. I know that Julio and JP are totally different hitters, and I know that they both were effective at their jobs last year, and this WOBA number uh, shows us that also. Thank you so much for taking a moment on that. Continue. Another common stat is slugging percentage, which is just the number of bases a player gets per at-bat. For example, if a player goes one for four with a home run, he would have a 1,000 slugging percentage. Most people think slugging represents power, but it actually doesn't do a great job of it. A player who hits 40 singles and 100 at-bats will have the same slugging as a player who hit 10 home runs in the same 100 at-bats, even though one clearly has more power than the other. What we, can do do, what we can do to gauge a player's power is simply take his slugging percentage and subtract his batting average to get isolated power. Over that same 100 at-bats, the player with 40 singles would have an ISO of 0, and the player with 10 home runs would have an ISO of 300, showing player B clearly has more power than player A. Yeah, that's a great number. Um, so go ahead and give me an overview. That ISO shows... Shows me what power. So it shows it shows power. So it basically removes singles from the equation and only gives credit for doubles, triples, and home runs um, by eliminating uh, batting average. Because like we talked about before, it only gives one point or zero points. Uh, so that really shows a player's true power. That's why the player with forty singles singles had a zero isolated power because he had nothing but singles, and the guy who only hit home runs had a three hundred isolated power because four bases per home run minus the single makes it three so that's 300. well we're getting ready to get into my favorite stat to compare hitters but first we need to talk about ops or on base plus slugging which has quickly made its way into the mainstream you can hear it cited in broadcast booths and see it printed on the backs of baseball cards it's a quick but messy way to account for the issues we talked about with batting average and on base percentage by adding in slugging the flaw with this statistic the flaw with this statistic is that the math doesn't really make a ton of sense. 
It takes the problem we talked about with slugging, where four singles is the same value as one home run, and instead of removing batting average to solve the problem, it doubles it by adding on-base percentage and adds in walks and hit by pitches for good measure. Regardless of that, the numbers show it has the best predictive ability. <sighs> Regardless of that, numbers show it has the best predictive ability of the back of the card's stats. So if you take nothing else from this segment, please let it be that should you judge players by their back of the card statistics, OPS is the most accurate indicator of value, even though the formula doesn't make a ton of sense. Now for my favorite hitting stat of all. OPS Plus, which takes a player's OPS and adjusts it for variables like ballpark, we know Coors Field is the polar opposite of T-Mobile Park in terms of its effect on hitters and the quality of pitching they face. It's far easier to get a hit off Marco Gonzalez than it is Luis Castillo. Puts it into an incredibly complicated formula that spits out a simple, easy-to-use number. A 100 OPS Plus is always average, and every point above or below 100 is how much better or worse than league average the player was. Using this, we can see Jesse Winker, with a 103 OPS Plus in 2022, in spite of common opinion, was a 3% better than league average hitter. We also have WRC Plus, which is not calculated the same as OPS Plus, but it gives a nearly identical number, and they are generally interchangeable. This number really gives you a quick, concise idea of an overall player's offensive production, correct, Camden? Absolutely. This is my favorite statistic, and you can compare players across eras in different leagues. So, I mean, you can take Jesse Winker is a great example. You can He had a way better numbers um, playing with the Reds, and that's a very hitter-friendly ballpark. And when he came over here, his numbers took a dip, but his OPS plus wasn't down as uh, as far as you would expect from the dip in his regular numbers. And that's because it adjusts for the ballpark factors and everything else. All right. So uh, what else have you got for us today, Camden? Well, we've covered the basics, talked about what they get wrong, and looked at ways to better understand a player's offensive contributions. We looked at WOBA, which values each outcome individually to measure a player's impact on scoring runs, Isolated Power, to measure a player's true power rating. OPS, which clumsily squishes the triple slash line together produce, to produce a surprisingly accurate predictor of run production. And finally, OPS Plus, which takes the jumbled mess of OPS and puts it in a surprisingly complicated formula to give an easy-to-read and understand number we can use to compare players across leagues and eras. Well, thank you so much, Camden. And that does leave us... Can you tell me the difference between WRC plus and OPS plus? So uh, I, the formulas to calculate them are different. I'm not exactly sure what the differences are. I think OPS plus is standardized across the league and WRC plus is not. But they give uh, pretty identical numbers, but I don't know the exact difference. I might be totally wrong on that. Okay, okay. Um, but they do give nearly identical numbers. It, you can hear either one and they're interchangeable. Same scale for, for WRC plus, it's the 100 and then above or below league average, uh, however many points above or below they are. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Navigating the Numbers. I'm your host, Camden, and I hope to see you all next time.
Let's talk uh, Seahawks. We had a game today, didn't we, Tyler? Yes, we did, and it was sure an exciting one, <laughs> to say the least. So, long story short, Seahawks won on a walk-off last-second field goal. I believe our kicker came through big time, five for five. And, you know, it was kind of a back-and-forth game. We gave up a really quick touchdown to start the game on a little scramble dump-off, and the running back ran it forever. But... The defense was okay. Offensive line, eh, okay. Running game, okay. Gino is getting flack, of course, because he's just the target in Seattle right now. And he took a terrible sack at the end of the first half. He missed a couple throws. But when push comes to shove, he still threw for 369 yards, two touchdowns, and more importantly to me, you know what I'm going to get at Eric, zero turnovers. Even if across the board, the team is kind of just playing okay across the board, if you don't turn the ball over, you always give yourself a chance to win the ball game. What do you say, my friend? Yeah, I mean, those were all good points, and, and the offensive line was significantly better or perhaps Washington was significantly of poorer talent on the front line than the week before Ravens. Cleveland beat the Ravens today. I, I'm not sure. Probably they were at home uh, by three or four points. So that just tells you Seattle beats Cleveland. Cleveland, uh, Seattle gets trounced by the Ravens, and then Cleveland comes and beats the Ravens. So... Uh, that's NFL football for you. I would certainly hope we don't meet the Ravens in the uh, playoffs. Um, so, are they in the yeah? So, anyhow, um, it was a great game, you know. But this team is still very frustrating to watch. Uh, you're right, Gino. I just wish he could concentrate more. Uh, on being the field general you know it's like you said that sack that he was taking he just about flopped the ball out so they'd quit tackling him, <laughs> it like. it's like fine i don't want it anyhow you know and it's like what's going through your mind bud um you know why are you getting chased all over the field uh by this team that really doesn't deserve to do that they, he, the offense is frustrating to watch. I still put a lot of that on Gino. The offensive line looked better. And uh, let's hope that it gets significantly better. That would be a big boost. Uh, come on, Gino. And then um, I didn't like to see that, uh, that hit lock it took. That really made me mad. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, for sure. And in yesteryear, that wouldn't have been a penalty. But it's a different day of age in football right now. The thing that surprised me, so you have to call a penalty there. 
these guys know, and I know it's easy to say when we watch it on slow motion replay, but you got to lower your target when you're hitting a player nowadays, no matter what it takes. Cam Chancellor is three times bigger than that little cornerback that went head-to-head with Tyler, and the giant Cam Chancellor learned how to lower his target so he would not get these helmet-to-helmet penalty hits on the receivers what did shock me is that the guy got ejected and apparently it came all the way from the new york referees i guess i'll call them the guys that are looking at the replays from every different which way every single angle but that guy i mean he he was head hunting a little bit it's still tough for me but i mean when it comes to letter of the law it's absolutely the penalty. I don't know if you should inject a guy over something like that, but the guy that one cornerback was also a rookie, so maybe it'll be a good learning lesson for him going forward the rest of his career. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. He was he is a rookie, but he absolutely deserved to be kicked out of that game and I called for it immediately uh in front of my TV screen. You know, he, the the concussion protocol is not like in the old days where you could just have a player play you can be put in that concussion protocol and may not rightfully so be let out of it for weeks and you knock out an un you can't fill that position you can't fill tyler lockett's shoes so i am glad they went after him i'm glad he got his butt walked off the field uh, and that's what he deserves in today's game. That's what today's game is. He, he, you know, I mean, he just helmet to helmet, drive you into the ground, unacceptable. So um, the game was fun to watch. Uh, tell me about the second half. I kind of missed part of the second half. There was a big run there, wasn't there? Yeah, so we kind of stalled out and had to punt right away. And then we... We were solid on the ground today. Charbonnet and Walker were both pretty good. The line was pretty good. I still wish we'd run the ball more than we did. But then it was actually a little dump-off pass. This is where quarterbacks get great stats. When Gino throws it three yards, and then the running back runs it for 55. (laughs) But, you know, that Ken Walker's a special, special running back. He can be frustrating too, Eric, because... He's kind of a dodger, a weaver, a cutter, cut back, bounce it outside. Like He's not your bruising Marshawn Lynch, per se, that just sticks his nose right in there. But this guy is special and unique in his own way. He can... I love his little jump cut, his lateral cut to the side and gets away from defenders so easily. But that was such an enormous play in the game. It was disappointing that we gave up two touchdowns to Washington in the fourth quarter, but all that matters is we came back and got it done in the end. I'm very, very happy with this win. The Commanders, (laughs) it still cracks me up to say that, but they're... They're an NFL team. They came in four and five. I know they traded away two of their defensive linemen, which is probably part of the reason that we were able to 
hold the fort so well overall. But a win is a win in the NFL. Nobody complains about the Patriots with every single Super Bowl they win is at the very last second. Nobody says anything about that. It's all about just winning the ball game, moving on and preparing for the next week. Our kicker was fantastic, Eric. But that's also, I want to give our kicker major props there, five for five, including the walk-off game winner. But that also means we need to do a better job of scoring touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a frustrating to watch this team. And, and I know they're playing pretty well, and that's really weird to say. Um, it's it's almost like watching the Mariners this year, even when they were playing pretty good. Oh, you'd get those games where they just strike out 14 times and still win, you know, and you're happy with the win, and that's all you remember. But those strikeouts every day, those the frustrations on offense every day um, are real. Looks like uh, Seattle and San Fran are tied for first place. Is that right? And uh, we're in, uh, we've got the Rams next week. So that's going to be a critical game, Eric, because starting Thanksgiving week, it is a really tough stretch of four games. We have to go and get that W in LA. I believe the Niners are still technically in first place via the tiebreaker. Okay. But we basically have San Francisco on Thanksgiving, followed by Dallas, San Francisco, and our buddy Rupert, his Philadelphia Eagles, in four weeks. So this is a time where I really think we need to get to 7-3 and because we're going to have four straight brutal games where through late November and early December, if the Seahawks came out 2-2 two and two in those four, I would honestly be really happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, that's a tough stretch, man. Oh my God. To have San Francisco twice in three weeks, basically. Um, and these divisional games are always tough. They're tough for everybody. You know, you see these teams twice a year, every year, and that's a lot in football. And you kind of know them like the back of your hand. You hate them just like all divisional rivals. So we'll see what happens here. Uh, I hope Gino goes, rubs the genie bottle, and gets a wish here to play like last year <laughs> and, and starts dropping dimes all over the place. Um, so how about them Huskies? How about them? Did you uh, get a chance to see that game, Tyler? Yeah, I've been really into the Huskies this year, and it's hard not to be when you live in the state of Washington. The team is still undefeated. The Huskies came out with a touchdown victory, 35-28 over Utah, who came in ranked number 18. Utah is always a formidable foe to anybody in the Pac-12, Huskies included. They're always really tough, really physical, really big and they play hard and eric i'm not kidding you they showed the utah starting lineup i swear four-fifths of their offensive line was Pol huge polynesians but that aside another great game by Penix. 
Another really good job rushing the ball. So big props to the starting running back, Dylan Johnson, and big props to the offensive line. It was a giant shootout, actually, where Utah went into halftime 28-24, and the Huskies turned it up a notch or I shouldn't say a notch, they turned it up several notches and gave up zero points in the second half after getting trounced for 28 in the first half. So that was a great turnaround by the defense to get absolutely manhandled for a half, but then come back, straighten up, and give up zero points in the second half. The Washington Huskies are 10-0, and Eric. Just two years out of being in complete disarray, they seriously might make the Final Four of college football. Yeah, I mean, tell me, have any of the other teams in front of them, did they lose this weekend by chance? No, and that's why the Huskies are still in fifth place. So there's still Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia and Florida State in front of the Huskies. Now, Ohio State or Michigan will have to have a loss on their resume because they play each other in their heated rivalry Thanksgiving weekend. So if the Huskies win out, they'll get in. But right now, it sucks that they're on the outside looking in, even though they've been undefeated and played a bunch of really good football teams. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. It's always exciting with the, with the uh with the young men uh who play husky f- football uh for Western Washington. And uh, you know, of course if you're from Western Washington or if you happen to go to the school, um that's very important to uh, be successful countrywide. You notice that when he read off that list of teams, it was all those down south, east, southeastern teams, with the exception of Ohio State. Was that right, Tyler? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. But kind of are... your traditional, you know, East Coast bias types of teams, frankly. Yep. With that is is Seattle, Washington's own uh, university. To really be proud of, these are the kids that you root for in high school, only they've taken a step even higher level uh, for us. So, uh, do you have your, this, their schedule in front of you? So, the Huskies go to Oregon State next weekend. Then, Thanksgiving weekend, the Apple Cup will be in Seattle. Sadly, sadly for college football fans, that this will be the last Apple Cup for at least the near future as the Huskies move to the Big Ten next year and the Wazoo Cougars still don't have a conference to call their own for next season. So that's a major bummer. Everyone in the Northwest loves the Apple Cup. And then if the Huskies are able to win those two games, there's a conference championship game, which is played in Las Vegas at the Raiders brand new stadium. And it would most likely be a rematch of the Washington Huskies and the Oregon Ducks. But don't count your chickens before they hatch. Each team 
still has a couple games left, including their hated rivals as Oregon would also have to play Oregon State in what they call the Civil War. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens here. Um, Oregon's in a Southern division then? They're actually the same division, Eric, and this was decided before the... UW, Oregon, USC, and UCLA all decided to leave the conference next year. Was the conference decided to just go with the top two records, regardless of division, which would have been, which will be this year the first time the conference has ever done that? And I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you know, we there's lots of years where maybe the three best teams are in the North or the three best teams are in the South. So it'll be fun to see legitimately the two best teams in the conference go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to get into all that um, stuff about college football tonight. It's been a disappointment to me to see all that tradition thrown out uh, overnight. Um, Like, like, kicking your spouse out in the middle of the night with no explanation. Um, so we'll see what happens about uh, the new new matchups and stuff like that. Um, it just really hurts to see all these changes. Um, you know, we want some tradition in our lives. I'd like the Mariners to go back to their road grays, and I'd like the Pac-10 to stay together. Is that too much to ask? Well, apparently it is, but I'm a thousand percent with you, Eric. It really bums me out that this is the last year of the Pac-12. And I'll tell you this too, my dad is turning over in his urn right now thinking about the wonderful conference coming to its last couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, doggone it. Hey, it's been wonderful talking baseball and some football with you here tonight, Tyler. I know this is kind of a short episode for us. We normally go uh, a couple, three hours around here when we get our guests going (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) But there's not a whole lot going on uh, besides the football. We are a baseball-based podcast at this point, so um, we do talk a lot about baseball, and football is more of a filler. Um, but we're happy to talk about it and in and just like everybody else wanting to see what's going on uh any anything you wanted to add t- tonight uh Tyler I actually do Eric and I completely forgot oh, and it yeah. looks like uh you did also but we've had a fun time so far looking into some of our Mariners legends that we love so much you got to love these guys and the guy I chose this week is actually much more famous on a national level for being a top-level baseball analyst for the MLB network. This guy was a speedy, switch-hitting second baseman. He played 12 years in the big leagues, 10 with the Mariners. One of my favorite players ever, Harold Reynolds. He had a 260 average with the Mariners for his career, Absolute speedster, like I said, with 228 stolen bases for the team, 48 triples as a Mariner. He was a two-time All-Star, a three-time Gold Glove, and a throwback player when you compare him to nowadays kind of guys because he had 
30 more walks in his Mariners career than strikeouts with 63 sacrifice bunts and 27 sacrifice flies. I just remember Harold being an outstanding fielder with blazing fast speed. I always enjoyed him. Do you have any thoughts on this legend from the late 80s and early 90s? Well, when you look at a guy who can put that kind of career together, um, there's been like 23,000 people in the world to have ever played Major League Baseball, is my understanding. He's one of those people, and then he's one of the three analysts, or one of a few of the top team analysts they have, probably the top analysts they have. And you know what's cool about that is he represents Seattle, and uh, I would about promise you Seattle would get mentioned much, much less if Harold Reynolds wasn't on that show. Uh, just talk about people that can just have these incredible lives, incredible careers. In, you know, they're so blessed. And, uh, of course, nobody would ever say anything about Harold Reynolds being stuck up or, you know, any any kind of stuff like that. The nicest guy you can ever meet. Um, congratulations, Harold Reynolds. That was right on my time. What years did he play for us? Can you tell me? Oh, geez. I want to say it was... Shoot, I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to say... Through the 80s, right? 80, 84 to 94, 82 to 92, something in that range. Because 10 of his 12 years were with the Mariners, and I believe he retired in 94. So I'm going to say probably 82 to 92, right in that range. Yeah, that seems like it, because I really didn't pay a lot of attention to the team until probably 89 or something like that. Um, and, and I know of Harold Reynolds, but I, I don't remember watching him a lot. Hey, Mariner legend, baseball legend, MLB legend, Harold Reynolds, what a nice guy, uh, representing Seattle really well. Anything else on him, Tyler? No, I just love that you mentioned how much he keeps Seattle on the mind on the MLB network because I couldn't agree with you more. If Harold wasn't on that top show, Baseball at Night or Baseball Tonight, whatever they call it, the number one show at night on the MLB network, if he wasn't there, the Mariners would have probably like 95% less coverage than the little amount they already get. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know... We're here to play. We're part of the Major League Baseball, too, and we've had some greats play for us. And uh, happy to have you, Harold Reynolds. Well, everybody, I've had a wonderful week. Um, let's try it again. Well, everybody, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a great show, Tyler. I appreciate you talking with me here tonight. Not a lot going on, folks. We're hoping to break in with some news here pretty soon, but uh, it's just kind of that time of year. Uh, hope you're getting ready for your Thanksgiving with your families and such. Uh, Tyler, I hope you have a great week. Thanks. I appreciate it, and you have a great one as well, my friend. Thank you, and and we'll reach out to Indy. He's got some uh, things going on today, and, and we hope that all works out good for him and his family, uh, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
and uh, everything's gonna be okay and uh, have a great night folks good day bye bye